Do you love wrestling podcasts but hate all the ads? Well, you can get all the great podcasts early and ad-free at adfreeshows.com. It only starts at nine bucks a month, but you get exclusive series at adfreeshows.com like Title Chase, Eric Fires Back, Conversations with Conrad, and tons more, and a chance to interact with your favorite podcast hosts every month. See for yourself why thousands of other wrestling fans say adfreeshows.com is the best value in wrestling. Adfreeshows.com. You know, I get the question all the time, Conrad, I know you help people save money and you help people refinance, but could you actually help me buy a house? Yeah, buddy. Come on now. Buywithconrad.com is your hookup. And let me give you a heads up. You don't need a huge down payment to buy a house in 2022. In fact, you may not need a down payment at all. There are still loan programs out there that can get you out of your apartment and into a brand new house with no money down. And I know it sounds too good to be true, but buddy, we're doing it pretty routinely. And you don't have to be a veteran, but yeah, we can still help our veterans get into a house with no money down. But more importantly, we're going to help you get on the path to buy a house this year. You see, a lot of times we have these conversations and folks say, well, I've got a little bit of time left on my lease, or I'm not sure exactly when I'll be ready, or how much of a down payment do I need to save up? My advice, don't get ahead of yourself. Let's start the pre-approval process. Let's know what your new house payment could look like. You'll tell us how much down payment you want to have. Maybe the answer is zero. That's cool. And then you'll tell us what you want your monthly payment to be. And then you go shopping for your dream home. But step one starts at buywithconrad.com. And hey, did you know that when you go to file your taxes as a homeowner, you're going to get a statement back from your mortgage company that's going to say, hey, you can write off this amount of interest this year. How much of your rent are you writing off this year? None of it. Oh, and by the way, what's your interest rate on your rent? Well, that would be 100%, pal. You know you can do better than 100% interest. That's what rent is. Stop throwing your money away. And by the way, we can even help you get rid of your current house and get into a better house if you already have a house but you think, you know what, it's time for a new place. We can help you at buywithconrad.com. That's buywithconrad.com, B-U-Y with Conrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. And be sure to ask about our green light underwrite. We can actually get your file completely underwritten, and that allows you to negotiate like a cash buyer at buywithconrad.com. Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. Eric, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing great. I'm flying solo again this weekend. Mrs. B had to go out of town um, for some family business. So it's just me and the dog here. It's Easter morning as we're recording this. Uh, We had about 10 inches of snow Thursday and Friday. Yeah, man, we got hit hard. Wow. Um, And Sure enough, yesterday, some came out, all melted away, and now it's just windy. 
but other than that, I'm good. Well, I, uh, I did not expect to hear you say snow. I, I was in 80 degree weather this week. So, uh, if you're not sure where to live, boys and girls, don't pick while <laughs> let Eric have it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because, uh, of course, uh, our son Garrett and his wife, MJ, and our grandson, Waylon James. Way uh, J, as I've heard. Way J. Yeah. Way J. I love the Way J thing. That's the first thing I thought of, you know, when they said, we're going to name him Waylon James. I immediately went to Way J. Um, but of course, you know, he had to call me and remind me that. Hey, it's 85 degrees and sunny here. Wish you were here. You'd be out at the pool playing with Way J. In the meantime, I'm looking out the window and deer that are covered with snow are going across my property looking for food in the blizzard. And yeah, maybe, maybe Florida sounds good right now. You know, what's weird is, uh, I haven't told you this, but I got to go by and check out the construction site where they're doing the beach house deal for us. That's still probably a year away. My next door neighbor is from Wyoming. Really? I haven't met this person yet. They're building too, but I was like, wow, what a small, I mean, what are the odds? I know two people from Wyoming. There's only three since Kanye. Well, left. and here's the deal. There's only a little over 500,000 people that live in the entire state of Wyoming. And a lot of people don't even know where Wyoming is. Right. People that have known me for 25 years who have actually been to my home still call me and say, Hey, how's it going out in Montana? Yeah. I, I, I've, I've seen a lot of people do that to me about you. Like, is he still living in Montana? I was like, no, his daughter's name is Montana. He lives. Right. Well, in that Wyoming. does get a little confusing. Yeah. But there's only 500,000 people in the whole state and the state is the size of Colorado, if not bigger. So it's a big geographical state, but there's only 500,000 people in it. I've gone through airports. I kid you not. I've gone through airports in the past. It hasn't happened recently where I pull out my driver's license. I hand them a Wyoming driver's license and the TSA agents looking at it going, what, what? I mean, they're looking at it like it's some kind of fake ID because they've never seen a Wyoming driver's license before. Yeah. Kind of crazy, but I dig it. That's why I'm here. Cause there's fewer people here. I love that. <laughs> Well, you probably loved for working for TNA too, because there were always fewer people there. Uh, yeah, if you if you like solitude, that was a good place to shoot a show. We're going to talk about lockdown twenty twelve today. Um, you make the decision that it's time to take yourself off TV, or did it have to do with Nick at Night ordering twenty episodes of your TV show with Scott Bayo? Going into this show, it's going to be, you know, all about your team and Garrett's team. And we're going to have a lot of fun with that. But was there something else going on that made you say, okay, I've had enough TV time or is it real life work that says, man, I just don't have time to do all of this and something's got to go. And well, this will do. Uh, it was a little bit of both, but mostly it was me. I just didn't want to be on TV anymore. And I never wanted to be on television and TNA to be honest about it. I, Why I just not? didn't. Why not? Um, ego, I guess pride. It felt um, like a step down. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you go from where as a character, right. What I was doing on nitro and then what I was doing on Monday night raw, you know, just I've been on TV enough. I, I scratched that itch. 
I like to perform, but I, I just, I didn't want to be on TV at all. Part of, like I said, a big part of it was my ego. Um, some of it was just, I don't have time to do this anymore. And here's the other honest part of it. There's really three parts. I looked like shit back then. I, I wasn't taking care of myself. I was overweight. Um, as far as TV goes, you know what I mean? Healthy enough, but I just, I, I shouldn't have been doing it. And I knew it. I didn't want to do it. it just, it was easy, which is sad to say, but true. It made sense. It was an easy go-to. The crowd would react, you know. So partially it was laziness. Not just on my part. I didn't write the TV. I oversaw it. I consulted. I had ideas and things like that. But it was just too easy to get written into TV because it worked to a degree. Not certainly well enough, but it worked. But I, you know, like I said, I wasn't in shape. I, I, my heart wasn't really in it. I didn't enjoy it as much because I knew I shouldn't have been doing it, you know, physically. So I couldn't wait to get off TV, to be honest. When I said, because it felt like a step down and almost felt like you gave me a reluctant. Yes. Do you not, how are you feeling when I asked that question? I know that sounds funny. I'm not saying like, Hey, go lay down on this couch and I'm going to play your therapist here, but it was like (laughs) this. Yeah, it was like a reluctant yes. Well, because it's hard to, it's, you know, it's not often easy to be really honest about things when it's that personal. It was my ego. I don't like having to admit that my ego allowed me or motivated me to, and I don't like to admit that I've done things for my ego or that my ego made me feel bad about something. You know, I mean, it was a hell of an opportunity. I shouldn't have felt the way I felt, you know, I mean, but when you've been to, when I've, when I've been to a certain level doing something, it's hard for me personally to step down or even step sideways in a lateral position. And I just don't get as excited about it. I think part of that is my ego. That's not an easy well, thing to let me I have, have one. I try to keep it healthy, but sometimes it gets the better of me. Let me, let me mention this too, though. And again, I could be reaching, but I feel like maybe one of the differences could be when you were with WCW, even though it wasn't technically yours, you didn't own it. You certainly had a pride of ownership and you, and and you took great pride in that. Whereas here now it's, you're almost sort of like an order taker, you know, in terms of, okay, this is what they want me to do. I'm going to go do it. But that's not the same as you know, man, look at what we're doing. Look at what I'm doing. It's a little different when it's, when it feels like it's quote unquote yours, right? I don't think that was it because I enjoyed every minute that I spent in WWE and I certainly was, I had no pride of authorship there. Right. Right. So it, it really wasn't that it was probably more than anything, the combination of me knowing I really wasn't in shape to be doing it. I, and, and I felt bad about it. I was self-conscious to be honest again. Uh, I didn't like it. I didn't like seeing myself on TV. I knew I wasn't doing my best. And, and part of it was, this is like, if this would have been 20 years ago, I would have been excited about it, but it was just hard to be excited about being on television and TNA. I didn't enjoy it. We spend a lot of time talking about the professional wrestling aspect of your work life. And we don't spend a lot of time talking about the television stuff. 
And I know that most everyone listening to this knows that you did a whole bunch of TV shows. I don't think they know how many or, or just how successful it was, uh, your venture into television, but the Scott Bayo opportunity, uh, felt like a pretty big one from the outside. And it does feel like if you're maybe having a split focus where there's this TV opportunity where I am creating shows and probably candidly raking in the dough with that opportunity. And it's a lot of fun and it's new and it's exciting. Or there's this other thing where I don't, I'm not really confident in my appearance and it's not exactly where I once was in a television program on for professional wrestling. So it's easier to get excited about television in this era. Fair to say. Yeah. And, 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 and that did play a part, I guess, a very small part though, because the way things had worked out, you know, Jason was on the West coast. I was, you know, here in Wyoming, we'd both bounce back and forth. We, we developed a really good system where we split responsibilities very, very effectively. And we would tag team when we needed to. Usually that came with pitching shows and working with network executives and things like that, because we, we, we were a great balance to each other. Um, and, but for the most part, when it comes to production, you know what, the hardest part about getting a show on the air isn't producing it. That's the easy fun part. It's the pitch and getting it sold, right? I mean, it's still a lot of work. It's a grind. It's frustrating. It's, there's a lot of things that come along with it, but it's actually the easiest part of the whole process. The, the, the fun part is, Hey, what if, and coming up with an idea that materialize materializes on paper in front of you. And then you start massaging it, tweaking it, building it. It's like building, it's like building a sandcastle. You know, you're sitting on a beach and all you got is waves and the sun and the desire to build something. And then before you know it, you've got this amazing, you know, sandcastle in front of you that you spent so much time developing. That's fun. I really miss that part of it. Um, but the pitching, pitching a show and getting it sold and going through the legal part of it, that was another hard part that I just dreaded, you know, the process. And it got more and more complex, more and more challenging, you know, every year, uh, which is why eventually I think around 2015, Jason and I just looked at each other and said, one, we're not making as much, as much money as we used to do doing this. And number two, it is absolutely no fun anymore. And number three, the handwriting's on the wall. Small independent production companies like ours are going to go away. And they have, by the way. We were right when we made that call back in 2015, I think it was, or 16. So it, it was a combination of a lot of things. But, you know, I love doing it. I did, you know, I don't know. I don't even, I can't even tell you. I have to sit down and think about the number of shows that we created sitting on a beach saying, Hey, what if, and that's the part I miss about Jason the most working with Jason is we just were magic together, you know, and it was so much fun. Like we would not stop talking about creating ideas and creating shows. You know, we'd put in a 10 or 12 hour day and Jason moved from LA. He moved to uh, Arizona, just about a half a mile from where I lived. So we're working during the week and evenings, and then we're hanging out at a little biker bar called the hideaway down the road from my house, doing the exact same thing and having a blast doing it. But 
we did make a lot of money and I don't I can't even tell you how many shows we created and sold and produced. I don't know, 15, 18 to just about as many different networks. So it was fun, but it was time, man. It was just time. And right in the midst of it all, here's TNA, which was still, don't get me wrong. I still enjoyed aspects of it. And I probably always will be attracted to professional wrestling in one way, shape, or form. That's why I'm so grateful to the people that listen to the show. And by the way, to the sponsors who sponsor us, because I get to keep my toe in the water and stay as connected as I really want to be, but it's not the focus of my week or my work. Um, But it, as far as being on television, yeah, there were so many other things going on that were great. I was more focused probably on building our business outside of wrestling and uh, it was just time. It worked out. I'm grateful for it all. I was you know, grateful to be able to work with my son. That's the one thing, no matter what I say about TNA and in frustration. And I want to make one thing really clear here because I'm pretty active in social media. Um, I'm also pretty transparent. I, I don't hold back. I don't play games. I don't, I mean, I'm what you see is what you get with me. And whenever I make a comment that someone chooses to, or is a criticism or a negative comment, it's, you know, Oh, he's just bitter. You know, Oh man, I'm not bitter at all. My frustration when I talk about TNA is missed opportunity. I've said this to you before, probably personally, maybe on this show opportunities are so big ones, real ones are so incredibly hard to come across or to create. And when I see, when I saw, in this case, TNA, just the massive opportunity that was there with Spike and Viacom and what could have been, and to see people making choices and decisions that were essentially self-destructive, even though they didn't know it at the time, it just drove me nuts, you know? And when I talk about TNA, if it comes off as negative or critical, please know that there's a lot of good people in TNA. There are a lot of good people in TNA. Some of them still working in the industry today. Kevin Sullivan, Jeremy Borash. You know, I'm not even going to mention all the talent. There's too many of them to mention on the show. And, And there were other people that were at TNA that didn't transition into, you know, another wrestling company that were really good, smart, hardworking people. My frustration is just with, like I said, yeah, missed opportunity. They come along, uh, an opportunity like TNA had is a once in a lifetime opportunity. And just to see it be disrespected and sabotaged because of ego, <laughs> primarily, and just not being willing to try to understand uh, was really frustrating for me. Still is, if I think about it too much. Well, let's jump into it. We covered Victory Road last month in the archives, so be sure to check that out. But we're coming off the angle with with Bobby Roode and Dixie Carter that even you said was a little too much. The follow-up to this is his setup for James Storm as the number one contender against his old tag team partner in his hometown of Nashville. Here in 2012, with the benefit of hindsight, do you think James Storm or Bobby Roode were better suited to be the top guy for TNA in this era? Better suited than who? 
everybody on the roster. Well, I mean, it, it feels as if TNA is going to go one direction or the other, like they've been building these two characters and it's time to anoint one of these guys as the world champion and our leader. And they're going to be the new face of the promotion because TNA is, it feels like a little bit of a company in transition here. Uh, we're not exactly what we were when we first started in Nashville. Maybe we haven't fully realized, um, our goal of where we're trying to be. And so we need somebody to help be the out front guy. And it, it felt like at the time it could have been either one of these guys. And we've talked a little bit about how Hogan has said, you know, so-and-so wasn't ready yet or what have you. What did you think storm or rude? I would have loved to have seen storm run with it for a while as a baby face. I think Bobby rude makes a better heel. Um, much better heel. I would have loved to see James run with it for at least a year. Maybe as little as six to eight months, but really establish it so it doesn't come off as a transitional champion because of what you just said. The company as a whole, bringing in all this talent from WWE, and there had been a lot of talent there before Hogan and I got there. But you bring, you know, you bring in all that WWE talent, you bring in Hogan, you bring in Bischoff, you've got this great, you know, roster of young emerging talent and it didn't have a vision. There was no vision for, for TA that again, you want to get me going lack of vision. You know, it, it, it reminds, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm going to go off in the weeds here and I don't mean to. Yes, I do. Fuck it. It's at least half my show. Um, <clears throat> you've got to have a, you've got to know where you're going. You can't possibly reach a destination without knowing what that destination is. <clears throat> that sounds like common sense, right? If you jump in your car and you say to Megan, Hey, Megan, we're going to go on vacation. Great. Let's load up the car. Okay, great. You got the cooler, got the food, you know, got the camera. Okay, great. Where are we going? We're going on vacation. I know we're going on vacation, but where are we going? Well, I don't know. And that's the way TNA was kind of run. There was no vision for it. There was no end game. You know, when you build a business, I don't know about you, but most people that have experience in business, when you build a business, one of the first things you think about is, okay, what's my exit strategy? Wow. Okay. Where, where, where is this thing going to go? Mm-hmm. Is my, is my exit strategy? I want to build this wrestling company to such an extent that I'm, I'm a target of an acquisition or perhaps a merger as actually was the opportunity with spike TV and Viacom at one point that they completely blew. Um, or what do I want this company to, even if you can't answer that question, if you can't see in your mind's eye, what this product is, what this company represents and, and, and how it's distinguished from competition what are you going to do? You're going to chase your tail creatively and strategically, by the way, you're going to chase your tail and you're never going to get anywhere. And that was TNA in a nutshell. And I think if, if James storm would have emerged and even more so because there were so many, you know, Jeff Hardy there and, and, and there were so many, and I don't know if Jeff was there in 2012 or not, I can't remember, but there were so many great talents in, in TNA at that point. Some of them were imported from WWE. Some of them were, locally grown, if you will. 
But to see James emerge out of that as a babyface, I think would have been a really smart move. Let him hold that for a while. While that's happening, get a consistent look at a seething, jealous, bitter Bobby Roode as a character, of course, and just watch that slow build with Bobby and then bring them back together and take advantage of their backstory and their history and all that. I think that would have made creatively that would have made a big difference at the end of the day it wouldn't have mattered because the real cancer in 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 tna wasn't the creative that's what people like to point to because it's an easy thing to do but the real problem with tna was just lack of vision well to me it felt like uh both of these guys were top guys. And if you want to feel like a top guy, well, feels is a better way to feel better. Now here's why Eric and I recommend feels, or I guess maybe we should first explain CBD. Isn't about what you feel. It's about what you don't feel the stress, anxiety, pain feels is a better way to feel better. Feels is a premium CBD. That's going to help you keep your head clear and feel your best. It's hassle free. It's delivered directly to your door. And it's going to naturally help you reduce stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness. But maybe best of all, there's no hangover and there's no addiction. You just place a few drops of feels under your tongue and you feel the difference within minutes. Now, the thing to remember about CBD is that finding your right dose is important. And really everyone's dose is different. Maybe you need a, a dose of chill on the go. We'll pop one of feels new CBD infused mints for a clear headed feeling. And as a bonus, some fresh breath. In fact, Feels offers a free CBD hotline to help you guide your personal experience so that you find your perfect dose. The Feels customer service team is dedicated to making sure you get the best use of your CBD. And by the way, joining the Feels monthly membership really makes your self-care routine easy. You'll both save money on every order, but you can also pause or cancel at any time. So what are you waiting for? Start feeling better with Feels. Become a member today by going to feels.com slash 83 weeks. That's feels.com slash 83 weeks, and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. Let me spell it for you. That's F E A L S.com slash 83 weeks to become a member and automatically get 50% taken off your first order with free shipping. That's F E A L S.com slash 83 weeks. Looking for a great Mother's Day or Father's Day gift idea? I was, and I found it at Paint Your Life. With Paint Your Life, you'll get a hand-painted portrait created to fit almost any budget, and it's a great gift idea for your mother, your father, or both. You see, Paint Your Life transforms your photos into a one-of-a-kind, beautiful, hand-painted portrait created by professional artists. You upload anything you can imagine. You can even combine photos. You'll pick the artist, the medium. You can even customize the frame, and you can receive your painting in as little as two weeks. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at paintyourlife.com. And there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money's refunded, guaranteed. And right now is a limited time offer. Get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, just text the word WEEKS to 87204. That's WEEKS to 87204. Text WEEKS to 87204. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death 
in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook Games. So, Eric, let's talk a little bit about the opening segment of Impact here. We're going to see Sting convince Dixie to not fire Rude, and Sting is saying he's no longer interested in being an authority figure, and he wants to go back to being a wrestler. And he recommends Hulk Hogan take his spot. Dixie has some reservations, considering what Hogan did the year before. But this is going to be the story of Hogan coming back to being the guy leading the company. Was Hulk ready to be back on camera at full time, full time at this point? Mentally. Yeah. Mentally. He couldn't wait to get back out there. I mean, <clears throat> I think guys like Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, Randy Savage, when he was with us, um, Roddy Piper, anybody put put almost anybody's name in there that came from that era and spent 20 or 30 years <clears throat> being that character, both in and out of the ring, unlike a traditional television show. You know, actors go home and everybody knows when they see him on the street, oh, you played that character. Yes. But when you see a guy like Hulk Hogan or Ric Flair or, or you name, insert any name here that's been on television that long, and they see you as that character. That's right. They know you as that character. And in turn, you become that character, even away from television. And I think over a period of, you know, I've seen it now. I've thought a lot about this. But over a period of 20, 25, 30 years, whatever, you, you kind of need that. You know, it's why I think a lot of people have a hard time stepping away from wrestling. They, they won't admit it to themselves. They will eventually. But deep down, it's because that's their connection. That's a big part of who they really are. And stepping away from that is stepping away from a big part of your identity. And some people do it really well. Some people manage that transition. Some people struggle with that. That has a lot to do with some of the sad stories that we read about, you know, Sonny and, and, and others. I don't mean to pick on her, but some people deal with it. Some people have a hard time with it. Hulk was physically, he should have, he had a hard time getting up the stairs to get into the ring to cut a promo. He, I mean, the amount of pain that that guy put himself through is unless you saw it and you were there with him, you can't imagine it. You just can't. I, I There were times when I'd get tears in my eyes watching him try to get out of his car and make it to the soundstage. I mean, it was horrible, but he, that's who he was. That was, and that's the one thing he was trying to hold on to. That's the other thing that I think is what got to me the most with Hulk is he was going through so much. I'm not making excuses for him because I know that's going to be the go-to reaction for a lot of people on, on, on social media, but he had gone through so much. There's no need to break it down here. And he was beat up emotionally, physically. He should have not been allowed to be out of the house uh, without help. Um, but the one thing he could hold on to was getting into that ring and getting the reaction from the crowd. It's the one thing he had control over. He no longer had control over his body. 
because there's certain things he just he couldn't do anymore. His personal life was not good, but he could still go out there and be Hulk Hogan. So, yeah, mentally, um, he was 100%. Physically, he should have not been there. So let's talk about uh, our old pal, Bruce. Uh, According to the Observer, uh, he had a couple of heart attacks here. So he's going to wind up taking a leave of absence for several weeks. Um, This had to be a pretty scary time being Bruce Pritchard's friend. And you hear that your friend is, man, not feeling so good here. What do you remember about this? I remember it vividly because I was afraid for him. And I'm not going to delve too much into Bruce's um, personal life. But this wasn't the first struggle that the Pritchard family had been dealing with. Serious struggle. And, yeah, I was very, very, very much afraid for Bruce. Um, As a friend, I just... That was, yeah, I'm going to let it go with that. I'll start getting weepy here. It all turned out okay, so it's yeah. fine. But, you you know, you plug me back into that moment, and it was it was tough. I don't have a lot of friends, you know. I mean, I, close friends that I, that I would trust with my life or my money or my family, and Bruce is one of them. Um, and, yeah, I was scared for him. I was scared for his family. They were struggling without the fact that Bruce had suffered a heart attack. They were still struggling. And then to add, you know, something as scary as a heart attack on top of it, it's pretty bad. Well, let's, uh, I'm with you. Let's, let's transition to trying to talk about wrestling. Cause that's what Bruce would probably want. But when Bruce is, is down and out like this, who's, whose lap does creative fall into? Seems like a silly thing to even concern yourself with, but the show must go on. Do you remember what, what the, the strategy was when Bruce goes down? Yeah. I pretty much grabbed it. Cause I, here's what my fear was going to be. You know, I didn't know how long Bruce was going to be out. I didn't, you know, I didn't, I just didn't know. And <clears throat> I knew what a snake pit TNA was at that time um, internally and it, not so much, not with the talent the talent. The talent was great, but from a management perspective, I had no confidence whatsoever in anybody making the right decision, excluding Dixie. I wasn't concerned about Dixie, but Dixie wasn't the shot caller that everybody thinks she was not when it came to money. That was out of Dixie's hands. She certainly had influence and all that, but the final decisions, they weren't Dixie's. And I knew that instantly, you know, when I talked to Stephanie, Bruce's wife was the one that let me know right away what happened. And in that moment, like less than a split, less than a millisecond after I hung up the phone, I knew what I was going to do. And I was just going to Bigfoot my way into it. I was going to take it all. And I told Stephanie such. I said, don't worry. Because she was worried about Bruce's job. She didn't know. You know? And I said, Stephanie, I trust me. Nothing is going to happen to Bruce's position. 
And I, bef- I said it and I didn't know how I was going to ensure that, but I knew that I would hundred percent confident that I would. I just didn't know how. And I thought about it for a brief period of time. I said, well, fuck it. I'm just going to take it. I'm going to, because what I didn't want to do is have something goes bad creatively. The numbers kind of go down after a week or two or three. And then what typically happens when you have, you know, low information management is they start pointing fingers. Well, you know, Bruce is going to be able to do it. You know, who knows if he's ever going to come back, but you know, they, they, they start painting pictures in their minds of how, you know, they can justify making a, a decision that they shouldn't make. And I knew that that was going to happen. So I thought the only way I can stop that is to do everything I can to make sure that that aspect of TNA to the extent possible runs smoothly until Bruce gets back. So I didn't ask permission. I didn't subtly weave my way into the process. I just big footed my way in. I took over the very first production meeting. I didn't ask permission to run that meeting. I just did it. And within about two weeks, everybody just got really used to that. And that's the way it was until Bruce came back. Good on you. How about that? Uh, let's talk about what's in the observer here. The plans for lockdowns and uh, show and match card and Garrett's match specifically have changed a couple times. It was written here in the observer. It was supposed to be Hulk and Garrett against you and flair. Do you remember that idea? I don't remember it specifically, but that sounds like something that could have been on the table. Kind of would have made sense except for. If it was on the table, the reason it didn't happen is because somebody went, yeah, but who's going to work? Hulk can't work and neither can Eric. I was so wondering the same thing. It's essentially going to be a match between Rick and Garrett. And that didn't really make a lot of sense. And it didn't do the team any good. I don't know why, but that tickles me because a lot of times, you know, and we've talked about this when we talked about the opportunity of the six man tag in WCW. Uh, versus the NWO. So it was Flair and Piper and Kevin Green against Scott Hall, Kevin Nash. And that third person was sort of in debate. Should it be Hogan or should it be Waltman? And Kevin Nash goes, hypothetically, it'd be a better match if it was Waltman. And uh, I, I think sometimes as fans, we just look at names on paper and say, oh, but look at all the star power without going a little bit down that road and saying, okay, but if we do, what's that match going to look, like? look like? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so then it's decided not to put flair in the match. Gunner is going to replace flair and eventually it changes to a five on five. Now flair's a big topic at TNA at this time, because, and remember this is 2012 Ric flair works for TNA, but he's going into the WWE hall of fame as a part of the four horsemen. As a reminder, flair went in solo in 08, but now they want to induct the four horsemen. And in order for that to happen and have flair, a TNA contracted performer appear on WWE programming, a deal has to be struck. Chat me up about how you remember this all going down. You know, I, I wasn't a part of that. That was between Rick and whoever his attorney or agent was at the time and Dixie and whoever in TNA. And I, I, I didn't even hear any of those conversations. I heard of them, but I, I, I don't know what that was like. I'll, from my perspective and what I saw and heard in real time at that point was that it was pretty smooth. 
There wasn't, there was no drama. So however it happened, and you know, Rick could obviously speak to it. I can't, but however it happened from my perspective, backstage being close to the epicenter, but not being in the epicenter, uh, it was not a big deal. Let's, uh, let's jump into it. Um, Flair's going to be involved in the whole storyline of, of Garrett being bullied by Flair, but that doesn't really tell the whole story. Uh, bully Ray begins a story where he's taking people out, but we're not really clear on why he's doing it. And then he came out during a four way X division match and just laid everyone out. And the episode of impact here ends with sting and Hogan and Dixie talking, and there's no real decision being made. So I guess that's your cliffhanger. But if you're ready for a cliffhanger, well, can I recommend bluechew.com? <laughs> Eric, it feels like bluechew has been a part of our show from the very beginning. And this time of year, boys, it's time to dig yourself out of that winter hibernation. Spring is here. So let's get sprung with bluechew. <laughs> this episode and Eric's wiener are sponsored by bluechew. Guys, confidence can take you far in life. It can also help you in the bedroom, especially when it comes time to uh, <clears throat> step up to the plate. And if you know what I mean. Now, here's the deal. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. Now, you can take Blue Chew's products here anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Now, the process is simple. You sign up at bluechew.com. You consult with one of their licensed medical providers. And once you're approved, well, you'll receive your prescription within days. Now, here's the best part. It's all done online. Now that means to you, no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew's tablets are made right here in the USA. They're prepared and shipped directly to your door, all in a discreet package. But there won't be anything discreet about your package because you got Blue Chew to give you the hot <laughs> tag. So if you could benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, Blue Chew can help. We've got a special deal for our listeners, Eric. Try Blue Chew for free when you use our promo code 83 weeks at checkout. Just pay the $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com. The promo code is 83 weeks, and you'll receive your very first month for free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast and helping Eric let the good times roll. <laughs> I owe a lot to Blue Chew, you know, not only because they sponsored the show for so long, uh, it seems like almost since day one, right? Yeah. But um, definitely improved the quality of my life, you know, and it's all about performance. You know, I'm in pretty good shape. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not running marathons or, you know, spending two hours a day in the gym or anything like that. But I'm fortunately, I'm in better shape now than I was back in 2012. Let's put it that way. So it's, it's not like I need any help when it comes to physical performance, but when it comes to performance between the sheets, so to speak, my love life that I share with my wife of, oh God, 38 years coming up now, wow, 39, how about whatever that? It is, at some point in time, you know, you realize it, you know, when it comes to that performance, I'm not 25 anymore. Now with blue chew, I may not be 25 according to my driver's license, but if you talk to Mrs. B, she might say, yeah, he ain't 25, but he ain't far off for about an hour. <laughs> and you know That's what, if you time. can't get it done in an hour, you know, 
That's on you. Well, no, no, you, I could get it done much. Trust <laughs> me. <laughs> there, <laughs> there's been times when I think I could have set a record of some sort. But why, why would you want to do that? That's a great thing about Blue Chew. When I say it, it enhances your performance, it's just not getting ready for the moment. That's, that's part of it. But the other part of it is getting ready for round two. Maybe squeeze in around three. Wow. Doesn't happen often. Round two, semi-regular basis. Round three is kind of a semi-annual thing. But, hey, why not? Why not be a top performance? Whatever it is you do. You want to drive a nice car? Why wouldn't you want a high-performance car? You want a nice watch? You want a high-performance watch? You know, you want high-performance clothing if you're out hiking in the mountains? Well, I wake up on a weekend morning, and I want high-performance. I'm reaching for the Blue Chew. Hit it up, baby. It's uh, BlueChew.com. The promo code's 83 weeks. High-performance dongs coming your way. So what's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day I'm giving you the behind the scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. The next week, surprisingly enough, Hogan doesn't agree to the job when Dixie asks, but he agrees when Sting convinces him. Meltzer speculates that with the cost of Hogan and Ho- Hogan not being able to wrestle, he just has to be involved in the program somehow. I think that's a no-brainer. You want that star no, 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 power. Let's stop right there. Let's stop right there. Let's stop right there. So, according to Meltzer, because of the price tag associated with Hulk. Well, hang on Meltzer. now. That's a football analogy. You know, let me explain. A lot of times you've got this, this rookie quarterback. Maybe you've got this grizzled veteran at quarterback, but you realize maybe he's on the downhill slope. So you go out and you, and you get you a first round quarterback and he comes with a big price tag. There's going to be pressure on, on management and the coaches. Hey, we're paying this guy all this money. You got to at least let him get some reps and get him on TV. And I guess what Meltzer is trying to say is if we can't figure him into a match, we've got to utilize that star power somehow. And I know that he said dollars and cents, but what I read is almost that sports analogy of, we do have an investment in him, but also too, you know, when you, when you draft a, a hot shit college quarterback, he's going to sell a bunch of jerseys and get a bunch of people talking and candidly in the mainstream they're probably not talking about james storm but they're talking about hulk hogan every now and again and if they can tune in for hogan and see james storm that's a winning formula right you're giving way too much credit to dave Belson. number one <laughs> dave did say because of the investment in hogan they've got to figure out a way to use it well number one tna had no investment in hogan oh there's that zero not a nickel Spike TV paid for Hogan, not TNA. So there was no pressure on uh, from TNA management. They could give two shits because they weren't paying for it or me. But the, the but they did have to make Spike happy, so they got to put him on the show. Spike would Spike would have been happy using Hulk the way we were using him. They didn't need to see him in a match. They didn't need to see him in an A story. The focus of the show. Spike had no issues with the way. We use or didn't use Hogan. I never heard a word from them. So that's not true. And again, it's just 
you know, the dirt sheet mentality and, and, and style was, is to just make up facts, throw them out there in a way that sounds reasonable or plausible. And then, you know, convince everybody that you know what you're talking about, but that wasn't true. It, it wasn't true. There was no need to get Hogan on TV. That's not why it was done. Why was it done? Made sense from a story point of view. You know, Hogan, Hogan was, you know, if somebody wanted to do an interview, somebody from mainstream media wanted to do an interview, they're calling for Hogan, you know? So having Hulk as a spokesperson, as a figurehead, uh, keeping him attached to the property without necessarily putting him in a match, um, everybody was fine with that. And that's the way Hogan should have been used. The truth is, Hogan probably, I don't want to say he wrote himself in because Hulk wasn't part of the creative process. He certainly had a voice in it when it came to anything to do with him. But Hulk was always expressing his eagerness to get involved and to do more. Going back to what I said earlier, it's the only time that he felt any comfort or peace or control in his life at that point. He was in bad shape, man. But that was, you know, he did his five-minute segment on on. TNA and that was five minutes out of an entire week that he felt like he was actually in control of something. There was a lot of that, but there was no pressure from the outside, not from TNA and not from spike. So Bobby Roode says he's not going to be on TV indefinitely. That lasts all of one week. Uh, Mr. Anderson defeats Jeff Hardy when Kurt Angle interferes to set up Kurt versus Jeff in a cage at the pay-per-view and Kurt claims he's already defeated Jeff. So he doesn't have to face him again, but Hulk lets him know, no, that's the match. And I guess on some level, you got a couple of maniacs like Kurt Angle and Jeff uh, Hardy. That makes sense to put them in a match, uh, especially in a cage here, right? You know, you're going to get something when you put those guys in that kind of match, right? Yeah, that's a safe bet. Yeah, that's, yeah, that is, that is a safe bet. There's probably no risk of a bad match. No, there's a risk of injury. Yeah. That, that was an issue. Um, but, you know that if both guys are healthy and they're there when the bell rings, you're going to walk away with a match of people we'll be talking about for years. So let's chat about this next segment. We see you and Garrett have a segment where you're basically telling Garrett to get out of the wrestling business and Garrett shoves you. Listen, I know that we started this show by you saying, I didn't really like being on TV and. This wasn't, it did feel like a step down and I'm not comparing it to some of the, the peaks with nitros or some of the great moments with you and Vince on WWE TV, but realizing you're in there with your son and I'm sure the whole family's watching and Mrs. B's watching and Montana's watching. And that's a pretty cool thing. Is it not? That's gotta be maybe not top five, but top 10 moment. Oh, it's it, it, at this point in my life when I can really reflect back on not only what was the most fun, because when it comes to what was the most fun, the Chuck and Billy wedding as a performer, I'm not talking about all the stuff that went into NW, none of it, just at purely as a guy that shows up and, you know, picks up your script says, Oh, this is what I'm going to do tonight as a performer. The Chuck and Billy wedding was, was fun. The most fun I've ever had or none. Um, but working with Garrett was special. And even though I, I was self-conscious, I, I knew I wasn't 
at the top of my game in many respects, uh, as far as being on camera was concerned. I was frustrated with a lot of things. Yes, I really did feel like in my own egotistical way, TNA was a step down. Therefore, I didn't want to be in a high profile position on that show. You know, because you got to keep in mind, in my head, this was going to be my last run. (laughs) Some things never change. But, you know, I thought, God, this is not how I want. I'm talking about before I worked with Garrett. This is not how I want people to remember me. This is not the, the, the period at the end of my wrestling sentence that I want, but I did it anyway. Now, when Garrett comes along and actually, you know, years earlier trains, he goes out to the West coast, he trains with Rikishi and comes back, trains down in Florida, really puts in the time, works underneath as a referee to kind of really get some more familiarity and then he breaks into the business. Now I have an opportunity to work with my son. Everything that I felt about being self-conscious or it being a step down, all that shit evaporated in an instant. And I can't tell you that as a performer, it was more fun than some of the things that I've done on camera. I can tell you by a mile it was the most satisfying thing I ever did Mm. as a performer. That's a magic. That was magic. And I'll forever be grateful to Dixie and and to TNA and and Spike for letting that happen, because that that's something nobody can ever take away from Garrett or I, other people from the outside, they can make fun of it. They can poke holes in it. They can say whatever they want to say about, but they can't take away the moments and the magic that Garrett and I experienced together performing in the ring, especially against each other. That, that made it more special. I know that sounds weird, right? But yeah, it was really, it was I'm very still to this day. Great. The main event of this show is Bobby Roode and bully Ray teaming up against, uh, Austin Aries and James storm storm's going to pin bully after Roode spit beer in bully's face by accident and then got pinned with a super kick. Let's talk about some other news and notes here. Your boy, Scott Steiner and TNA are unable to come to a deal. And Scott wrote this on Twitter quote, right now I'm trying to save TNA because it's the Titanic and it's sinking fast because Hogan and Bischoff are doing the same bullshit. They did to destroy WCW. It took them one and a half months to drive TNA to its lowest ratings ever. The best way to save it is to jump off and be the voice for the guys who can't say anything. And of course, I want to remind everybody that Meltzer says this was written because Scott couldn't come to terms with TNA. How much of this did Scott really believe? How much is he writing this to try to turn it into an angle and get that deal that maybe they couldn't come to terms on? Oh, I don't think, I don't think it was about trying to get an angle. I mean, I, I guess it could have been, I don't, I don't think so. Here's, here's what happened. I don't think I've ever talked about this. Maybe, but I don't remember if I did. We're trying to get James Storm over, right? We're we're pushing James pretty hard. James needed some wins against credible people, not just wins, um, but he needs to be in there and, and, and have some really, really credible wins. We had uh, written a match, written a match between... James Storm and Scott Steiner. 
and James needed to go over. I'm not a, I'm not a Finnish guy. I've never wanted to be a Finnish guy. Maybe I should have been or should have wanted more um, to get better at it, but I wasn't. And we wrote it, we laid it out, and we didn't really have agents or producers, as they call them now. You know, we kind of did, but we really didn't. They weren't very effective. So when it came time, day of, the shoot for, for James and Scott to uh, – to have their match, you know, they came to me and said, well, what about a finish? I said, go work it out. Did you guys figure it out? I know what the end needs to be, but I'm, I'm not a finished guy. You two go figure it out. Well, Scott can be a little tough to deal with sometimes back then. And James was intimidated by Scott a lot. So, of course, rather than just sitting down and those two working it out, you know, about mid-afternoon, James would come to me and he was all puppy-doggish. Man, he just doesn't want to do anything. He just, I can't get him to whatever, you know. I said, dude, work it out. I said the same thing to Scott. You guys just go figure it out. No, I want to make it clear. Scott didn't have a hard time losing. It wasn't that Scott didn't want to lose. Scott wanted a finish that made sense to Scott. And that's where I had to tag out because that just wasn't. And besides, I had a few other things going on. I couldn't spend all afternoon trying to work out a finish, knowing that I wasn't very good at figuring them out anyway. So I just said, guys, go work it out. And maybe two more times that afternoon. Now we're getting close to like four o'clock, five o'clock. We kind of kind of nailed down the show because now we got pre-tapes to do. We got to know what, you know, we got to know what we're doing here, folks. We can't keep debating this. And finally, you know, James just came to me and said, oh, man, we just can't get it. I said, well, then fuck it. We'll replace Scott. Because it wasn't important that it was Scott. It needed to be somebody at Scott's level, but it wasn't like there was a storyline there that needed to be managed. Right. Right. So it was like, in my mind, it's like, okay, well, fuck, if it's not Scott, we'll figure out something else. It's not worth the hassle, Mm -hmm. to be honest. It's just not worth the frustration and the the time we're spending on this. So so I told whoever it was, I said, just write out Scott and we'll plug somebody else in there that has that level of credibility or close to it. And I wasn't like, well, fuck it. We're going to fire Scott because he wouldn't do a job. First of all, I couldn't fire anybody. I didn't have the authority to fire anybody or hire anybody. And that even if I did, that wasn't what was in my mind because I had a lot of, I valued Scott. You know, he was an important part of the process. But when Scott got written off TV, somehow that got back. I don't know what that process was. I don't know who was involved, but it got back to probably the Carters in one way, shape or form through Dean Broadhead or somebody else that would have been kind of more involved in that. And uh, they had made up their mind. They were going to cut Scott in Scott's mind. Hogan and I went and had him fired, right? <clears throat> Nothing could be further from the truth. Hulk really likes, I like Scott <clears throat> certainly had a lot of history with Scott. And all of it, even though there were times we would butt heads, and it, you know, it got to be challenging from time to time, the way it is with all talent. 
I've, I've never worked with a talent, a high level talent that wasn't a challenge from time to time. But I, I never breathed a word about cutting him or firing him. But Scott, who was written off TV because we couldn't come up with the finish that he was comfortable with, I'm assuming he's going to go home and he'll be back next week and we'll pick it up from there. Well, there was no next week, evidently. And, but Scott assumed it was Hogan and I, because like so many people, they thought we were calling the shots. <laughs> we weren't. We absolutely were not. But I think what Scott wrote was his way of striking back. You know, Barry Hogan and Bischoff, you know, it kind of worked, right, for a lot of people. You know, it worked for Steve Austin when he went to ECW, worked for Mick Foley, you know, worked for a lot of guys. Um, so that was Scott's kind of go-to. But Hulk was disappointed as hell. Hulk really liked Scott. But all of a sudden, Eric Bischoff and Hulk Hogan became the enemies. Well, let's talk about some other news and notes here in the observer. It said that Dave Lagana, yourself and Jason Hervey are big time supporters of using Twitter during the pay-per-views as a way to just, you know, get that conversation going online. But it feels like if you're trying to do live social media reaction, you need to get people to buy the pay-per-view to buy it. So maybe I think the criticism was. You should have done that more with TV than pay-per-view. Or did you think if this is even true, Hey, maybe this will make folks think, Hey, I'm missing out on something pretty special here. It's it's not true at all. Again, Dave completely pulling that out of thin air. Absolutely not true. Um, Dixie, however, was a Twitter maniac. Dixie was obsessed with Twitter. I don't know about Lagana. I never spent enough time around Lagana to, to know whether that was true or not. I think Lagana was probably just tasked with, you know, the directions to figure out a way to use um, Twitter more. But I, that was not me. I kind of was like, I, I don't even know if I like this shit. You know, it's still kind of new. I, I think I signed up for Twitter in 2009 just because I wanted, like I signed up for a lot of shit just because I want to explore it. You know, I've signed up for TikTok two or three times and then deleted it because I didn't want anybody. I always think, God, what if somebody, what if I get hit by a truck or, you know, end up in a plane wreck or something and somebody finds my phone and figures out a way to get into it? I don't want somebody finding my phone and go, oh, those creepy old fuckers on TikTok. What's up with that? But it was the same thing with Twitter back when I first joined. Now, I use it a lot now, you know. It's a way to kind of promote hype and connect, you know, with our audience. So I use it for business purposes um, more than socially, but Dixie was obsessed with it. Like Dixie, (laughs) Dixie, I'm sorry. I don't mean, I think this is funny, right? It's not really a criticism. It's just funny, but Dixie, because she wanted to be perceived as the Vince McMahon of TNA, even though she really didn't know anything about anything when it came to the product, but she wanted to be perceived to be that Vince McMahon-esque character or the Eric Bischoff in WCW person. So Dixie would sit in Gorilla, right? And she'd, the whole time she's in Gorilla, she's not watching anything that's happening. She's watching her phone for the entire two hours. She's 
tweeting and texting, mostly tweeting. I, I had never seen anything like it. So once again, Dave, just pulling stuff out of thin air and connecting dots. Jason felt the same way as I did. He was like, what the fuck? I mean, it was a running joke how much time Dixie spent in social media and Twitter in particular. So no, absolutely not true. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, some major news. Uh, I guess before we do, we should mention Eric young and ODB you're planning a wedding. So yay for that. Uh, you're going to challenge Garrett to a singles match, uh, in the cage at lockdown. Garrett says you're dumber than everybody thinks you are, but, the, <laughs> but then here comes the big story from the observer. Spike and TNA signed a two-year contract extension through October of 2014. A lot of people in TNA are breathing easier because it had been openly talked about the idea that Eric Bischoff and Spike would start their own promotion in the same time slot (laughs) with the idea that TNA wouldn't be able to get any TV or at least TV that would pay them enough to survive. And then the promotion would end up by default, getting all the talent they wanted. There was a lot of fear that there are people who Bischoff wouldn't have kept Plus Bischoff is so universally disliked. It's one thing if he's got power and all in booking, but it's another, if he's actually the guy running the company for spike, there are probably a lot of reasons that didn't happen, including the lawsuits that would likely go back and forth, how spike would be viewed in such a situation. And that if TNA went under and everyone became a free agent, who is to say that WWE wouldn't then sign most of the talent up and leave Bischoff with a stripped down version. In the press release, oh they claimed TNA was gone from 700,000 viewers to 2 million, and it's nearly seven years on the network. Actually, TNA debuted with a 0.8 rating in an 11 p.m. Saturday night time slot, and it's now been doing a 1.0 or a 1.1 for two hours at 9 p.m. on Thursday. I think the time slot difference alone should have been worth more when it comes to growth. Oh, so Eric, uh, I have to admit, I never knew that you were in talks with spike to just take over and start a new promotion with them and just fuck TNA out of their time slot. And clearly that was probably news to you this morning as well. All right. I get a lot of, I would say 75% of the people that listen to the show or that follow me on social media, at least on Twitter, love when I bury Dave, I do get some people going, dude, let it go. Yeah. You know, what's, yeah. What, what, what is it you know, with you? I mean, just come on, let it go. Here's why I can't. This is a perfect example of what kind of a toxic piece of shit oh. Dave Meltzer is. Nothing that he said there was true. Not a fucking thing. But he's got no problem putting that crap out there. And, and, and filling the narrative pipeline with absolutely bullshit. There wasn't even a fraction of a grain of truth to anything that Dave said. Nothing. And you wonder why I think he's such a toxic piece of fucking garbage? Whoa. That's why. That's an example why. There has never been a clear example of what kind of fraudulent trash Dave Meltzer is as a human being and as well as the the, the product that he puts out there. 
So when people say to me, now I can tolerate it here on this show, and it actually benefits us, right? Because it helps paint the picture and glue things together. And I get it why we do it. But this is the same toxic piece of shit that goes out of his way to lie, distort, and fabricate things about people that he just doesn't like. And then call it news. Call himself a journalist. There was, there, was, there was nothing about that that even someone could mistakenly, mistakenly interpret as a possibility that there was a discussion between Spike and Eric Bischoff about starting our own company. I can understand why people, especially people that, you know, certain management types that really weren't involved in the process that really didn't know me that really didn't know what was going on on a day-to-day basis, but they were funding it. And they had, and I can see why they were nervous about me with that kind of shit going on because they'll, the dumbest people in the world are the ones that'll believe what they read in a dirt sheet. I shouldn't say dumb, the most ignorant people in the world. And when I say ignorant, I mean, ignorant in the literal definition of the term, Lack of knowledge, lack of information equals ignorance. And a lot of the key people, the key decision makers in TNA were completely ignorant of the actual situation. And those are the same, that type of ignorance gravitates towards somebody like Dave Meltzer. Because you don't know. You have no knowledge. You have no information. So you go to someone who presumably does. The problem is that toxic piece of shit doesn't have any idea either. He's more ignorant than you are because he's blinded by his own emotion and, 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 and insecurities. So, yeah, there you go. That's how I feel about that. Well, let's talk about some other news and notes from this supposed meeting that you had quote, some, (laughs) some notes from a conversation with Dixie Carter after she and Eric Bischoff met with spike TV officials in New York on April 11th regarding taping TV on the road. She said they definitely want to do it and need to do it, but it costs nearly half a million dollars in total for them to tape on the road. And they can't put the company through that kind of financial drain, particularly if it doesn't work out. She said over the next few weeks, you'll be seeing changes in how television is presented among the changes that started this week is that one episode per month will be an open fight night. The idea is that a new wrestler will debut and that new person will pick his opponent. All TNA wrestlers have to answer if they're challenged, they'll have three judges as well as Hulk Hogan who will watch their match and determine if they get a contract. In addition, anyone on the roster can issue a challenge for any title. There will be more focus on the younger talent. She categorized the recent period of pushing younger talent on top and somewhat lower ratings as an investment in the future and pushing homegrown stars. She talked about needing a second television show. Say two hours a week. Isn't enough. Two hours, two good hours is more than enough. Four bad hours. Isn't enough. So. Lot to unpack here. Do you remember having a meeting in New York and them saying, Hey guys, we want to keep this going, but we can't keep taping on the road. We had several meetings in New York, so I'm, I'm not sure what this particular meeting <clears throat> was about. 
Probably um, the extension, I would assume. And then how you guys are going to the extension, where we're going, you know, we talked about doing some uh, pretty sophisticated research. Spike was interested in growing the brand because as I've said before, you're in television, you're either growing or you're dying. There's no middle ground folks. You're either growing your audience and establishing the fact that there is future growth in the years to come, or you're not establishing growth. And then there will be people who are looking for opportunities to find growth in that time slot. That's just the way it works, folks. It's the way it works. And particularly with, not particularly, but in this case, um, because Viacom did not have a financial stake in in uh, TNA, which is one of the things that I tried to change, by the way. I wanted Spike to have a financial stake. And Spike was interested in that. Talk about a blown opportunity. Look what they did with Bellator. That's why Bellator is still around. Yeah. Okay? Because they, they, they own it or own a piece of it, a good piece of Bellator. And the same opportunity was sitting on TNA's doorstep. But I'm digressing. The meeting. Yeah, we had a bunch of meetings. We had meetings all the time in New York. Um, I don't think the meeting was necessarily about um, keeping their show on the road. Because that was a TNA decision. That was not a Spike decision. Spike had ponied up for Hulk Hogan, for Sting, and for Eric Bischoff, for Kurt Angle. Spike paid for a lot of the top talent. People didn't know that until Spike actually came out and admitted it in a newspaper article, and then nobody could deny it anymore. Up to that point, they were denying it and made everybody think that, you know, the Carters were the ones that were funding all this, and that's not true. And Spike came out and burst that bubble um, eventually. But the meeting was probably more about how do we grow this brand? And I was a big, I, I believed in, I'm a data guy, which, you know, uh, yeah, I've been around for a minute, but I firmly believe in data and analytics. It was one of the things that gave me the template for Nitro. Was re- and I've been, I've been involved in some really bad research. And there's nothing worse than being overwhelmed with data <clears throat> and research and not having anybody that can interpret it. You know, you, you could get the cure for cancer sent to you in Chinese, but if you can't interpret it, it's not going to do any good, right? And the same is true with data when it comes to television. I've seen a lot, a lot of data come in, especially early in WCW when I, before I got into management. And I was watching management try to interpret that data, and it was like, this is insane. Why even spend this money? You guys are nuts. You don't know how, what to do with the information. You interpret it the way you want to interpret it, not what it really represents. And, you know, you've heard the, the saying, you know, numbers lie and liars can use numbers, but nothing is more true when you take a bunch of unseasoned television executives, inexperienced television people, and dump a bunch of data on them and watch them go to work. It's a fucking mess. But I've also experienced it on the other side of the coin. And it really, really crystallized to me how valuable good research And part of good research is knowing what you're looking for. You know, good data in, good data out. Bad data in or no data in, you have no idea what the hell you're going to get. But like I said, I experienced a very, very positive uh, 
experience in WCW with regard to building the Nitro brand. Very helpful. Um, so I was pushing hard for research that would take opinions out of it because everybody has one. Now, it's a tough thing about professional wrestling is every one of your viewers has an opinion. Everybody in management has an opinion. The talent all has opinions. You know, the executives above you that are writing a check all have opinions. Everybody. Did you ever see the, oh, I can't remember the name of the TV series, whatever it was, but there was a line in when this is, he's got a gun. He's got, everybody's got a gun. Same is true with, with opinions as it relates to research. And unless you have somebody that really can interpret it as it relates to your audience, and that's another thing that's a requisite here. If you don't really know your audience and you just look at the audience or the rating as this monolithic group of people that are all going to react the exact same way to whatever it is you do, you're even deeper in the dark. But I really wanted Spike to help with the research and take charge of it because TNA wouldn't do it. TNA wouldn't pay for it. Carters wouldn't authorize it, but we needed it. We needed it for the network to have confidence in what we were going to do. And we needed it in TNA because at that point, if the network's paying for it, we've got some good research that creates that vision, that roadmap that I talked about as we opened up the show, then bam, we're on our way. To, I had to force the vision through research with Spike. And that, that more than likely was whenever I was involved in a meeting with Spike, more often than not, um, that was a topic of conversation because I, it took me about two years to get that done, by the way. So yeah, that's probably what it was about. Let me ask. It's written in the observer. There was talk of making bully Ray world champion. Is this when the movement began for putting bully in that spot? I mean, does the aces and eights idea start to take shape around this time? Is that the way you remember this? I, I don't know. Conrad, I, you know, it's, 11 years ago, no, 10 years ago. Jeez. So I, I don't remember the uh, intersection in terms of timing of bully and aces and eights and what was going on here on this particular pay-per-view. So I, I, I don't know. Could have been, I mean, I looked at, look, I looked at bully. I've always thought the world of bully as a performer. I, I like him as a human being. I mean, we're friends. We're pretty good friends but we didn't start out as good friends. You know, we started out just working together. I knew right away working with Billy, this, this guy, you know, I, I get along with him. I love the way he thinks his approach to psychology and that type of thing. So I was a big proponent for bully um, being elevated, but I don't know. I don't know if it dovetails with this particular storyline or not. All right. Let's give a plug to bully was recently on um, broken skull sessions over on Peacock with stone cold, Steve Austin, Great watch. Highly recommend you check it out. And while I'm recommending you check out things, may I recommend chili sleep? I got to tell you, this has been an absolute game changer in my life. Anybody who has ever shared a room or spent the night at my house knows that, man, I like to keep it cold at night because I knew I slept better. I didn't know why, but it turns out I was onto something. Science tells us the best way to achieve and maintain consistent deep sleep is by lowering that core body temperature. Temperature controlled sleep is going to repair your muscles after a hard day's work. 
And most importantly for me, it's going to improve your cognitive function. So you can always start your day feeling sharp and alert. That's why I have fallen in love with chili sleep. Now, maybe you're not familiar, but chili sleep makes customizable climate controlled sleep solutions that really do help you improve your entire well-being. Let me explain. This is a mattress topper that fits over your existing mattress to give you your ideal temperature. And when I say your ideal temperature, I mean it. Uh, Megan and I have one on our bed. She likes to sleep a little warmer. I like to sleep a little cooler. We can do both with the Uller. That's what we have. They also make the cube sleep system. Either way, we're talking luxury mattress pads that keep your bed at the perfect temperature for deep sleep. They're designed to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and give you the confidence and energy to power through your day. Whether you sleep hot or cold, this is a great solution. Imagine waking up and not feeling tired. That has been my existence with chili sleep. Before chili sleep, I was sleeping five or six hours a night. With chili sleep, I'm sleeping seven, eight, nine, sometimes 10. Uh, it's a wonderful existence. I have bright, vivid, colorful dreams. I no longer feel like I'm, I'm wearing down after lunch and I need to take a nap at the office. All that's over with. I'm sleeping better than ever and feeling better than ever and accomplishing more than ever. Thanks to chili sleep. I recommend you check it out. Head over to chilisleep.com forward slash 83 weeks to learn more and save 30% off the purchase of any new cube or Uller sleep system. Now this offer is available exclusively for 83 weeks listeners and only for a limited time. That's chili C H I L I sleep.com slash 83 weeks to take advantage of our exclusive discount and wake up feeling refreshed every single day. I've put all my friends and family on this. I bought some with this same code chili sleep.com forward slash 83 weeks gave one to Casio kid. My parents have one uh, great friend of the show. Jeff Jewett has one from doo trucking.com. The gimmick attorney has one. Scott Hyatt has one. Everybody I know knows about chili sleep because I believe in it. And you will too. Check it out. Chili sleep.com forward slash 83 weeks. And Eric, I, I want to talk a little bit about this promo you do on like the go home episode of impact before we get into the pay-per-view. And then we'll talk about the show. Hogan's going to come out for an interview and he calls you out and you're going to come out and say the difference between me and you is that you're not a leader. You, you're not the kind of guy that people will follow into battle. And you're just the type of guy who relies on others and, and, and then jumps on situations that will personally benefit him. And of course, Hogan doesn't like all of that. So he announces that there's going to be some stipulations here. If Eric wins at lockdown, Garrett has to leave TNA forever. And if Garrett wins, Eric leaves TNA and can no longer use the Bischoff name anywhere. And so now it's going to be a multi-man match with real stakes, real stipulations. What'd you think of this? You know, as you, I, I forgot all about that, to be honest, um, as you laid that out there, um, kind of like it. Yeah. Not bad. So you pointed out stakes, steps makes sense. Um, fit the characters in the story. So yeah, I, I think that was pretty smart. TV's also building up Eric Young and ODB's wedding, which will include Eric Young's bachelor party. And then also a, uh, Montgomery Gentry appearance, which is a country band. They're, they're hanging out with James storms as they're continuing to try to build this storm rude program. And the go home impact has a, a best of three between the two Bischoff teams with the winners getting the, uh, the man advantage in the lethal lockdown match. Um, Meltzer is going to call this one of the best shows in a long time. 
primarily because of the rude and storm build. The first match of the best of three is Gunner versus Mr. Anderson. Uh, Chris Saban is going to come back from injury in this era. He's been out with a, a torn ACL. Aries is going to help make it one and one with a win over Daniels. And then we've got Rosita and Sarita coming up to Eric Young in trench coats and offering them their naked bodies for the tag titles and to not get married to ODB. Don't know what's going on with that. Uh, and then the cage gets lowered and we get 14 minutes of Eric Young and ODB getting married. Uh, and then bully Ray is going to pin AJ styles to get the advantage in lethal lockdown. Ray gets the win with a chain and then Hulk comes out and does not reverse the decision. Hogan announces that it's no longer four on four. Now it's five on five and Eric has to find a fifth member and you let Hulk know, uh, that he's the fifth man. So you turn to flair and add him, but it's RVD a lot to unpack here. Uh, being against Hogan on the microphone was probably a little fun working with your old pal, but man, it feels like in an effort to build this pay-per-view on the very last possible, it, it, it keeps evolving. It was this and now it's that, and it was this and now it's that. Is this the most effective way to sell the pay-per-view or should it be sort of old school? Hey, it's Hogan and Sting and we know nine months ahead of time and we're going to build our ass off towards it. I think <clears throat> I clearly, I, I would have voted for the latter. You know, I think anytime Again, it all comes down to vision. The, the further ahead you know you're going to do something, the more detail and and nuance, surprises, the easier it is. Here we go. The longer, the more vision you have for something, the longer you have to build something, the more time you have to do a good job building story, creating anticipation interjecting the reality, which some of the stuff that you heard in there, we were, we were attempting, attempting to do surprise. And then of course, delivering the action to make it all make sense. But when you're booking kind of week to week, maybe two weeks at a time, um, or even if you're booking, and I think at this point, we were probably more like a month out is, is when we had a pretty good idea what we wanted to do. But of course, because of all the different things, all the different people and opinions that influence things, things changed. You know, and then you have things like for the most part, I would always vote to have that thing laid out the, on paper, the outline, and then fill in the blanks building toward that outline. All right, Eric, let's get to the show. Lockdown is going to draw 3,000 fans. Uh, the show gets 54.5% thumbs down in the observer. And the 10 man tag between you and Garrett opens the show team Garrett Bischoff, which is Garrett Bischoff, Rob Van Dam, Mr. Anderson, AJ styles, and Austin Aries is going to take on team Eric Bischoff, which is Eric Bischoff, bully Ray Gunner Kazarian and Christopher Daniels. It's lethal lockdown. And these guys go 25 minutes and 59 seconds. Meltzer would say this was similar to war games rules only sped up. Wrestlers entered in three minute intervals and unlike WWE in this kind of situation, they actually followed the clock to show it was a legit deal. They had a countdown clock going throughout the bout. And before the match started, Garrett Bischoff said he wanted to start while the other guy said he's the least experienced, but he says, I need to prove myself. And he was put in against Gunner and the crowd didn't seem to like Garrett bully raised the next man in. He somewhat woke the fans up who booed him because of what an awesome heel he's become. 
The crowd wasn't behind Garrett at all when he's making a comeback. And the next person to enter had an Austin Aries chant, and he's in next. Action was good at that point, but the crowd was killed dead when Frankie the crew cut Kazarian was next in. Fans didn't even seem to recognize him, and the place went silent. And then a You Look Stupid chant broke out. Styles was next in, and the people did react to him like he was a star. He got brief offense before the heels took over, and then Danielson was next in. Anderson followed him, and during Anderson's big entrance, he missed time to spot. He was supposed to deck Daniels as part of his hot entrance, but Daniels just took a bump even when Anderson's offense was kind of botched. Eric Bischoff came in wearing jeans and a t-shirt. Eric held Garrett so Ray could slap him in the head, and the crowd was having so much sympathy for the heels double-teaming Garrett that a one-more-time chant started. The heels were chopping Garrett's chest right on the spot of his Bischoff tattoo, and everyone was taking turns beating on Garrett, but it wasn't working. RVD was the last guy, and he cleaned house with some cool kicks. Eric Bischoff was hiding in the corner, and the top of the cage with the weapons came down at 18 and a half minutes. Styles was hitting Ray with a hockey stick. Anderson was using garbage can lid shots, and they used the spot where they do all the finishers, but it was broken up. The finish would see Eric beating on Garrick with kendo stick shots, which got zero heat, and nobody cared. The people didn't see Eric as a star or hate him at all. There were chants for Hogan, and after that beating, Garrett got a guitar and hit Eric with it for the pin. Star and a half. So there's a lot going on here. You got 10 guys in a cage, war game style, with weapons, and the crowd is not your ideal wrestling crowd. Do you remember being in the cage and being like, ah, oh, just get me the fuck out of here. I want to go write some more Scott Bayo. No, I'm going to go back and watch this uh, because I didn't. Going into the show, my bad. Uh, sometimes hard to find TNA for me being as technically challenged as I can be from time to time. Um, first of all, I'm not going to assume anything Dave wrote is true because so much of what he's talked about on this particular show was an absolute lie. And clearly, um, Dave tries really hard to to convince the audience to feel the way he feels about people. So I'm not going to throw in the towel and say Dave was right. Here's, I mean, I remember being in the ring with Garrett. I remember a ton of crowd reaction. Now it may not have come off on television. Dave may be right. I'm not saying he's not because I don't remember. I'm going to be honest about shit. unlike Dave, but I will go back and watch it. Actually, when we're done here, I'll find it somehow. I don't think that was true. And there was a lot of heat there. And I know for a bloody fact, I would stake my life on it, that there was at least one person that gave a big damn about it. And that was my wife. Because when that match was over, I got a text from Mrs. B that in no uncertain terms, made it clear to me that she was so disturbed by what she had been watching. She couldn't watch it to the end. <laughs> and of course, Garrett exacerbated that by doing what wrestlers do when they get backstage, when they've got injuries, they all go back and take pictures of it and post it. Right. See, this is real. Don't do this at home. I get it. I'm not making fun of it. Well, I am, but yeah, Garrett took pictures because he had welts on his back that were like three quarters of an inch high. I mean, it was actually kind of scary looking. I was starting to feel bad. Oh my God, is this kid going to get blood clots and shit from what I did to him? 
Um, but I know at least one person cared. And I got a lot of heat from her. So maybe Dave is wrong. <laughs> maybe Dave is wrong. Oh gosh. Um at this point, you know, when you're when you're in the cage and it's done, and I mean, are you happy that okay, if I'm gonna be off TV, this is how I want it to happen. Um any sort of feelings like that? Like, all right, that's it. I'm not going to appear on wrestling TV anymore at the time. No, I mean, cause I'd already made up my mind. I mean, I had crossed that threshold in my own mind previously. So it was like, I, I was really just focused on working with Garrett. You know, I mean, that was, that was my emotion when that night was over. I had so much fun. Garrett and I both had a blast together. You know, we high-fived each other and, and, um, I think that was a night I, I gave Garrett my Rolex because I had been given a Rolex. Harvey Schiller gave me a Rolex for Christmas. Uh, the first year that WCW made a profit. It was like his way of saying, he gave one to me and he gave one to Nick Lambros, who was the VP. And I think it was that pay-per-view that I, I think that was the one where I said, that. Nah, here you go, kid. And uh, afterwards, we just enjoyed the moment. That's a cool moment, man. And, uh, talking about spending all that time with your family makes me think of our friends at goliathlife.com. Here's the deal guys. If you don't have life insurance and I know that it's mostly guys listening to this, you're like Eric and I, and you, you're the, you're the breadwinner, you're the provider and your family is counting on you. And that's why I checked out goliathlife.com. Now here's the reason I went to goliathlife.com peace of mind. Yeah, I've got car insurance and I might not ever need it. I've got health insurance and I hope I don't need it anytime soon. And I've got homeowners insurance and I'm not going to get hit by a tornado. I'm on top of a mountain, but yeah, here I am with all of these insurances, but I knew I needed to protect my family, not just my house and my cars, because that's what life insurance does. It's not for you anymore, Bubba. You're gone. It's for your family. And in my opinion, it's to replace the income they're going to lose. Their quality of life, their lifestyle would have to change if they didn't have my income. Well, now they're secure. I've got the peace of mind because I went to goliathlife.com. They streamlined the entire process. And here's how they do that. Instead of going and shopping with 20 different carriers and getting the best quote, goliathlife.com streamlines that process. You'll get like 20 quotes just like that. You pick the terms, you pick the payment, you pick what you want to pay. And boom, you're off to the races. They'll even send somebody to you. They actually sent someone to my office years ago, and I was able to go ahead and do all the medical stuff without getting an appointment, without getting in my car, without going anywhere. They came to me. It was a done deal. And it's very, very affordable. How affordable? You pick the price. I want to reiterate, you're not just looking at one quote here. You're going to get a quote from like 20 different carriers. Check it out. See for yourself what we're talking about at goliathlife.com. Let's get to match number two. It's Samoa Joe and Magnus retaining the tag team titles over Chris Saban and Alex Shelley. They go 11 minutes and 12 seconds. It's two babyface teams. And Meltzer says that doesn't really help the non-existent heat. He thought the match was okay and said that Saban was still pretty cautious after the knee surgery. A lot of good moves from the Motor City Machine Guns. Joe and Magnus worked as the heels, but nobody was booing them. And the finish saw Joe snap Mayor Shelley and Magnus come off the top with an elbow for the pin two and a quarter stars. Of course, you and I still both think the world of Chris Saban and Alex Shelley. What a fantastic tag team. These days we know Magnus as Nick Aldis, the former NWA heavyweight champ, and maybe soon to be again. Samoa Joe recently got back in the ring, just recently won the ring of honor TV title. Uh, 
I don't think a lot of times we have TV champions for a promotion that doesn't have TV, but maybe we'll get there. <laughs> uh, logic, logic. Uh, this is a, this is a fun kaleidoscope of, of, of wrestlers here. What's going to be in the future for Nick Aldis and, and obviously the great talent that we see with the motor city machine guns, this to me in a snapshot is TNA. You've got so many great young talent here, but unfortunately they're not going to experience their greatest success as a part of this promotion. No, that's true. You know, that's true. And I, you know, why, you know, why is that? Yeah. So you just, what you said is a hundred percent true. And I'll go back to what I started out saying. There was no vision to grow the business. There just wasn't, there was no commitment to grow the business. So you're playing to the same small audience week in and week out, and there's no opportunity for growth as a performer, because no matter what you do, it's not going to move the needle. It's not going to change anything. Um, you're really performing because you want to get better at your craft. You're getting a paycheck every two weeks or whatever it was. Well, it was TNA. So maybe you'd get a check every two weeks. Oh, Sometimes on, you'd man. get an excuse. Oftentimes you'd get an, an empty FedEx envelope. Not all. So no, you talk to, talk to Bruce. Come on. Bruce was in the middle of that shit. They would literally FedEx an empty envelope so that they could tell the tech. Well, we sent the FedEx track it, find it. We know we sent it. Here's the tracking number. And of course it would eventually get there and there'd be nothing in it. Oh, we must have made a mistake. Oh, somebody forgot. Okay, we'll send it out to you FedEx tomorrow. I mean, it happened. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, but look, here's the good news. You know, Alex Shelley, Chris Saban, they continued their career. I think one of them, if not both, are still working. Samoa Joe went on to a fantastic, you know, run in WWE. Was he the world champion? Did he reach, you know, maximum potential? Yeah, probably not. But did he have a great run for how many years? Six, eight, ten? I don't even remember. Uh, made a lot of money, made a name for himself, and he's still having success in the industry today. So they used TNA for what TNA was good for at that time. Keep working, get a paycheck, improve your skills, and hope for a better opportunity down the road. And a lot of talent in TNA found just that. Next up. Devon is going to defeat Robbie E to retain the TV title. Both, both guys came out fast crowd. Didn't react at all to Devon while he was selling. He started hitting the mat and, uh, trying to get the crowd to cheerlead his comeback, but nobody cared. Uh, Devon wins with a spine buster right in the middle coming out of nowhere. And nobody was really ready for it to be a finish three quarters of a star. Next up, Gail Kim is going to pin velvet sky in seven minutes and 24 seconds to retain the knockouts title. Madison rain is out here with Kim and she's got a crown on and Taz mentioned that nobody with a crown will ever get over in the business. And while they're on the ground, exchanging wrestling moves, it was okay. Most of it was pretty bad. The finish saw rain distract sky and then sky blocked a move, went for a rolling reverse cradle. Kim reversed it into the O'Connor roll and held on the skies. As Meltzer says, panties for the win, half a star. You know, Gail Kim, man, so criminally underrated, you know, uh, timing is, is, is such a big part of, of success in business or yeah, I guess any profession, but man, imagine Gail Kim today, how much she would be revered and enjoying 
the spotlight that women's wrestling has earned over the years, but Gail Kim dude so far ahead of her time. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. I mean, she was a victim of her own ability because at that time, even in TNA and certainly in, in WWE women were eye candy. You know, I mean, take a look, I won't talk about WWE because I can't remember what was going on in the quote unquote women's division or how they were using women at the time, but in TNA, you know, let the pigeons loose. I mean, it was like, uh, it was so gratuitous and obvious, except for with Gail Kim. And Gail Kim could go. Gail Kim was operating. Mickey James was the other woman there that could really go. Those were the only two. And they weren't, they weren't eye candy. They weren't gratuitous, you know, sexual attractions for, you know, sexually frustrated 40 year old men, Dave Meltzer, they, they, they could actually go, but there weren't enough women in the division around them for the audience to appreciate it. You know, Tara was in that category as well. So you had three women that could really go, but the most of the time they were put in storylines that were primarily gratuitous and eye candy and not, necessarily because of the quality of the work that they could do in the ring or stories they could tell. Gail Kim was amazing. She really was She's so far ahead of her time. Great segment here coming out next. Uh, Flair comes out and Meltzer would say he got four times the reaction of anyone else on the show. Everyone's cheering him. So he starts insulting people at ringside, calling people fat boy and whatnot. Hogan comes out and he says, Rick Flair is the single greatest wrestler of all time. Um, Flair says, uh, he's had a problem with Hogan for 30 years. Doesn't like the way he's running the company and that Bischoff shouldn't have been in the ring earlier. Either way, he pisses off Hogan enough. Hogan knocks him out cold with one punch. Once, uh, Flair gets up, he's challenging Mike today to a fight. And none of this really makes any sense, but God dang is Ric Flair entertaining in it. I was just going to say that it really, when Rick's in that state of mind, it, doesn't make a damn whether it was it made sense or no. not it's just fun to watch next up we get crimson beating matt morgan uh by escaping the cage in just under eight minutes smeltzer would call it another bad match with no heat uh he only gave it three quarters of a star he said the crowd groaned at the finish crimson and matt morgan feel like two tna experience experiments that for whatever reason just didn't connect with the audience and it's hard for me to necessarily say it's the talent's fault. And I understand that, you know, you can blame the coaches or you can blame the players as they say in sports, but golly, man, these guys look great and, and, and they're capable of having good matches. It just doesn't feel like people are connecting with their stories. Would you say that's fair for Crimson and, and, and Matt Morgan? Yeah. For two different reasons though. Crimson was new. He was green. It takes a long time for talent to get over. It takes a long time for talent to establish a relationship with the audience significant enough where they actually care what happens to you. It takes eight or 10 years on average for a talent to get to the point where their quantifiable um, main event level talents or semi-main event level talents it takes a lot because the wrestling audience is really interesting. You've got to earn their respect. You've got to earn their passion. They're not just going to give it to you because you're on the card or because you're in a particular match. There's nothing automatic about it. And you, 
with the exception of Rock and Goldberg, and I won't go into that analysis again, I've done it enough, but the exception of those two guys who came into the industry and happened to kind of reach their peaks that just happened to coincide, happened to coincide with one of the greatest peaks in the wrestling industry uh, in 20 or 25 years uh, at that point. You know, they were able to kind of collapse the timeline. But for how long did it take Steve Stone Cold Steve Austin to become Stone Cold Steve Austin and to really get over? Because he really wasn't over. He had all the potential in the world. Don't get me wrong. But in terms of moving the needle and and ringing the cash register, it didn't happen in, in WCW. People can beat up point figures and lay blame all they want. Whatever. It doesn't make a fuck. My point is still the same. He wasn't moving the needle. He didn't move the needle in WWE until he became Stone Cold Steve Austin. As the ringmaster, he's just another guy on the card. It took Steve a long time to develop that relationship with the audience, whether he was moving the needle or not. He was building his fan base, building his equity. And even when he got to WWE and, oh, so Steve Austin's here, he was the ringmaster. Nothing. Until Steve, because of that experience, And the equity that he had built up over time with the audience hit. And because the audience already knew who Steve was and they dug it, he took off like, you know, Elon Musk put him into space, right? But it takes time. And Hulk Hogan didn't become Hulk Hogan overnight. So when you talk, when, when people talk about a guy like Crimson, oh, he just never made it, never reached his potential. It wasn't because he didn't have the talent and ability, and it wasn't necessarily, you know, the company's fault. It takes time, people. Name a star out there today that you're going to pay money to see that hasn't been in the business for at least 10 years. I'll wait. Come on. And, 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 uh, and Matt, I've said this before about Matt, nothing but respect for Matt. I like Matt as a person, and I like working with him as a professional. He was easy to work with for the most part. But hard to book Matt. And, and Matt had a hard time getting out of his own way as a character. You know, you could lay something out to Matt that might start to make a little bit of sense for a guy that was as big as he was and had the look he had. But Matt would often go, to, yeah, but, you know, would my character really do that? It's like, oh, okay, no, your character wouldn't really do it. You just keep going on doing what you're doing and see how that works for you. So when you did try to give Matt something that could break him out of the, oh yeah, he's just Matt Morgan. Yeah, he's big, but he's just Matt Morgan. Because that takes a radical change to your character, Stone Cold Steve Austin. You know, look at what they did with The Rock when The Rock first showed up. Uh, look at what Rock became. It's an evolution that takes time. And you have to experiment a little bit. You have to try some things. Some of it's going to work. Some of it's not. But you have to be willing to try. And when you get certain talent that can't get out of their own perception of their character, they become less willing to try. Now, I, I'm going to go back. I'm, I'm going to give you an example. I know we're probably running long, and I don't mean to do this to you. But what was the, the there was the AJ Styles storyline where he was having an affair. Claire Lynch. Yeah. What was her name? Claire Lynch. Yep. Yep. Okay. That storyline was admittedly goofy. Yeah. All right. I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to get criticized to death for it. And AJ Styles may laugh at me in my face when he sees me next. 
But I think that storyline was as instrumental in AJ Styles' future growth as anything that he did up until that point. Bruce Pritchard said, said on the record that he thinks it's one of the things that made WWE interested. Guys who could go. just have matches is not really what WWE is looking for. They're looking for guys who can quote unquote, tell stories. And AJ had never really gotten out of his comfort zone in a story like that before. And that exactly. was very WWE. Exactly. And that story and the, and it's not just the story. It's the fact that AJ who up until that, the, the Claire Lynch story had the Matt Morgan syndrome. Yeah. But would my character really do that? Yes. Because your character is just your character. It's not your real personality. So let's first of all, wake up in the morning and tell yourself every single morning that the character I play on TV is not the same guy that's going to sit down and have breakfast with my wife and my kids. And if you can't reconcile that, you'll never grow out of, yeah, but he's a homegrown wrestler. He wrestles really good. And AJ, when we laid that story out, and I created that story, by the way, and, and, and laid most of it out. AJ was like Matt Morgan. Oh, he didn't want to do it. He absolutely did not want to do that story. He didn't see it. It was the antithesis of who he really was. And, you know, alluding to the fact that he was having an affair with Dixie, all of that was so counter to who AJ Styles, the human being was that he did not want to do it, but here's the magic fucking did it. Yeah. And not only did he do it, he didn't show up going, okay, they're going to make me do this. Fucking I'm going to do it. You know, and, and self-sabotage either consciously or subconsciously the story and make sure he gets out of it as quick as he could. He poured himself into it. And that transition from being locked in your own head to understanding how to become a character and doing something that is so out of character for you as a human being is growth. That's how you grow. And Matt couldn't get to that point. Matt couldn't get to the point that AJ did with the Claire Lynch story. And that's why Matt Morgan not, didn't get over one of the reasons, not because of the company or because of the booking or whatever. That's just dirt sheet mentality, dirt sheet booking philosophy. It's just dirt sheet, small-minded thinking. Matt didn't get over because Matt couldn't figure out how to get his character over in a way that made him comfortable with himself. Well, thank you for that. That was good stuff, man. Uh, so was Jeff Hardy and Kurt Angle. Uh, I can't believe this is real. Jeff did a swanton off the top of the cage in 14 minutes and 50 seconds. Meltzer loved it. So did the crowd. The crowd was chanting. This is awesome. You really got to go out of your way to see this. I mean, he's trying to do twists of fate and go into the top and they're trying to do Olympic slams off the top and, uh, the swanton off the top and then the kick out and then does another one off the top of the cage. Now, Angle's working here with a hamstring injury, so he's moving a little slower. But golly, the chemistry of these guys and throwing them in the cage—you know it's going to be great. Meltzer thought it was three and three-quarter stars. These guys, man, you knew when that bell rang, they were going to give you their all. Whatever they had, you were about to get it, right? It was, it was exciting but scary at the same time. You know, the whole lockdown idea of all matches being in the cage is just such a fundamentally bad idea just from the get-go in terms of building and the crowd and 
I'm not even going to go into the lack of stories going into it or the lack of psychology. None of that we have time for on this particular episode. But even though we've become kind of um, emotionally numb to the cage by this point in the show, when it's Jeff Hardy and Kurt Angle, that all changes. Because you know both of these cats are going to do whatever they have to do to make their match in a cage absolutely entertaining and exciting, despite how bad everything else was. Now, I'm not talking about the match quality or the effort or anything else. Just none of the matches deserve to be in the cage. None of that made any sense. But guys like Jeff Hardy and Kurt Angle are going to get in that, in that cage, and they're going to make you forget that. And they're going to make you forget it by taking incredibly dangerous risks because that's what the audience wants. That's why they go, this is awesome, because they're seeing things that they know are incredibly dangerous. And you know, you just know when you write those two names on a piece of paper, Jeff Hardy, Kurt Angle, Cage, the chance of it going bad because of a serious injury are exponential compared to everybody else on the card. You know, these guys are going to, they're going to take risks that they shouldn't take. And you just pray to God, it's going to work out. Okay. And it did. Match number seven on the show is Eric young and uh, ODB retaining the knockouts tag titles, beating Rosita and Sarita. It's just a buffer match. Young never tagged in, uh, after the match, young and ODB are kissing and rolling around three quarters of a star, but that's just a let me up match for our main event. It's Bobby Roode and James Storm. They go 19 minutes and 10 seconds. Storm comes to the ring in the same pickup truck he was shown getting into in the vignette that opened the show. He's got a cooler in the back of the truck. He's carrying a six pack into the ring. This is really, really great stuff. Um, you see Storm's wife, Danny Cox, sitting ringside with Montgomery Gentry. And finally, the bell sounds. They pull out all the stops here. And ultimately, we're talking broken beer bottles, uh, is, is what really starts to elevate the violence storm nails rude with a super kick collapses. Doesn't cover him. Both guys get up storm uses a second super kick. Rude goes flying out the open door for the win. They both worked hard and did get a crowd that wasn't into much of either guy into the match by the time it was over. And after the show went off the air, rude was still selling and he went out on a stretcher three and a half stars. But this is a really, really great match. It's the first time we saw these guys in this kind of spot in the main event on a pay-per-view, but it does feel like maybe the baby face needed the win here. Storm never quite got back to the mountaintop ever again. Do you think in hindsight, as creative of a finish as it is, he super kicked him right out of the cage. So the guy who took the super kick accidentally wins through the cage escape deal. Do you think they should have went the other way and we should have just, man, let's just go with, let's go with James for a bit. Yeah, I do. You know, in hindsight, again, yeah. everything, is, everything is so much easier in hindsight. Um, two things would have happened. One is you would have sent the audience home happy. Yeah. Kind of what you should do on a pay-per-view. Yeah. And number two, it may have elevated James to the point where 
he could build on that character and build on that popularity. Not, I'm not sure it would have. James is another guy. Love him to death. He's a good dude. Probably not a lot of people I would enjoy more just having a burger and a beer with and James Storm. He makes me laugh. He's got a great sense of humor. And he's a good person. But he was another guy that had a hard time in his own way getting out of his way. Just a little bit. Not as much as Matt Morgan, but James, James had a tough time. Kind of, I don't know if it's believing in himself enough. Maybe it was confidence. I'm not a psychiatrist, so I don't know. But he always just, he just came up a little bit short sometimes. And I think putting him in that position and giving him a clean win in a cage and letting him be that hero might have been what he needed to, it might have been the thing that gave him the confidence that he needed. Well, boys and girls, that's going to, uh, put a bow on this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed lockdown 2012 next week. We'll watch the impact from 11 days after this, which is your farewell party to impact. <laughs> it's got, you're going that's a aw- shitty episode. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, we're going to, uh, we're going to be talking about that next week, but this week and every week you're doing something about the business of professional business uh, the professional wrestling business over at adfreeshows.com. Tell everybody what it's about, what the concept is, what you talked about last week and what you think you might be talking about this week. Yeah. Well, it's hard to say because you know, there's so much going on in the news and you know, it all started with you and I doing this show and every once in a while we touch on something that was current and because of the nature of this show and just my history in, in the business, um, I'm more fascinated by the business of the wrestling business than I am, you know, in terms of what's going on creatively. I don't watch wrestling like most wrestling fans watch it. I watch it from a business perspective. You know, I'm looking for things that are different than what the audience generally is looking for. And you and I would touch on these things and we get positive feedback. Wow, we really like that, really like that. And that's not what this show is about. This show is about nostalgia and going back and you know, looking at the Monday Night Wars and beyond. And I don't know if it was you and I or whoever it was, just sitting around riffing the way, you know, these things come up. It's like, hey, why don't we try just doing an episode, nothing about the business of the wrestling business. You know, last week we talked in depth uh, about the Discovery Warner merger and the implications that that may have on AEW, both good and bad. Um, That's the type of discussion that we can't do on this show, right? That's not what people listen for on this show, but we can do it uh, over at every shows. And we do. And so far the look people, if Elon Musk likes my tweets, you're going to love strictly business. Let's just put it that way, because we get we get granular, we get into the and we have conversations and I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not patting myself on the back, but who else that's doing a podcast today in the wrestling space has the experience and the perspective and the success and the failures that I've had? No one. And I bring that kind of unique perspective to that show. And so far, the, the reaction has been phenomenal. 
check it out. You're going to dig it. It's adfreeshows.com. And I also want to mention, boy, have we got some fun stuff up our sleeve coming your way. We've got more insiders coming and we've got a brand new series that we're going to be putting into production this week that I think if you're an old school fan from, uh, we'll call it the eighties, you're really going to get a kick out of all this and more, including all these shows early and ad free over at adfreeshows.com. Uh, and we'll see you next week right here on 83 weeks with Eric Bischoff. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.